Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 443 of Constructed Criticism. This is the all will be one, all be one, pick two set review. It is it is the moment where we all become one together with our Lord and Savior, Elish Norn. Uh, Abe Stein, how are you feeling about Elish Norn? Phyrexians win, man. I'm, I'm feeling complete. I think uh, I think they got this one in the bag. I think the people voted way back when when Mirrodin was besieged, and we all know that from now on it's Phyrexian mana the whole way through, baby. Phyrexian mana is something that we will t- be talking about today. But before we do that, I want to give a shout out to some of our newest patrons. We have Brendan Jackson and Michael as our three newest patrons this week, um, and I, I want to give a special shout out. Like, you know, I made a comment that I'm like, hey, like every dollar helps. And y'all didn't disappoint. We got three new patrons this week. Um, if 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 this happens every week, like I I don't even need to find another job. Like if we just do this every week, uh, just give these shoutouts. And and, and legitimately uh, something that if you're watching the pre-show, uh, and fun fact, you actually got a bonus benefit that you didn't even know about when you signed up for one dollar that you get early access to this show, um, and the live recordings to all set reviews. Uh. Yeah, I, I think that I think that uh, understanding what we're going to do with the $1 benefit is going to be something that we're we're looking into and something that we talked about in the pre-show and, and something that we can look forward to. So um, before we get too far into the show, though, I just want to quickly mention that we are looking for a sponsor. Um, you know, there there is so many things that we could promote on this show. The, the cross-culture that Magic has across different things. Um, this is a the ultimate 8-bit do controller. Uh, 8-bit do makes third-party controllers, um, and this one, Abe, is connected to my PC. It has its own 2.4 uh, connection that plugs into USB. Uh, then I don't even use my Xbox controller on my PC anymore. I just use this, and then I can just flip the switch, go to my switch on my TV next to me. It is... Uh, pretty close to an Xbox controller. It is the best controller I've ever held in my hands. It's got, you know, paddles on the back. It, it is it is the nicest, best controller I've ever held in my hands, and it has a versatility that I would really appreciate if 8BitDo wanted to sponsor us and give us a sponsorship. I could promote all your stuff, 8BitDo. So if you want me to promote your stuff, just shoot us an email at ccmtg.info.gmail.com, and we can do that. Abe, do you like this, the way that I've done this segment? You look so disturbed by the way i'm doing it i'm not disturbed by it i was thinking about how that controller really looks like uh it has all of the ergonomic uh benefits of the switch pro controller do you want it do you want to see the worst thing in the world because we can actually talk about this on the podcast so i actually i actually have all three of the controllers we're thinking of right here so we have the greatest controller of all time that has ever been created the xbox one controller but switches to the pro d-pad right like it is okay. unequivocally, and it's got like the back grip thing, grippy things. It's the best controller. You've got the the one that's modeled after it, right? The Switch Pro controller, right? Yeah. So I want to show you how much smaller this one is. You see the how much like smaller the handles are, how much uh, the D, the D yeah pads. yeah it's much it's much more compact. Yeah, and the D pad's way nicer. Here's the thing though. If you uh, love this type of content, don't forget to check out my podcast on and the Heasy Game Media YouTube channel. 
But I want to show you the most upsetting thing in the world. And you can actually blame Sega for this. Look at the buttons layout. Ooh, the YX versus the XY. And the AB also does it. Versus the BA. It is actually infuriating to go between my Switch and my Xbox before this exact reason. Uh, you know? But there are certain people that have certain patents and things that they, like, own, right? And so we as consumers... Sorry. Uh, have to deal with that. The The thing that Magic players are really lucky for is that uh, of, of the... Well, I'll say two things. One, we're going to have to worry about that in a minute because I, I believe that Arena will come to Xbox and it will come to Nintendo Switch, those two systems specifically in the next year. So, uh, if that happens, what does that mean for your... Controller of choice. I don't know. You're like, I'm never going to play a Renata controller ever. I, I, I can't imagine playing a Renata controller. This is this is now getting into territory where my mind is going to be too blown. I'll have to go back and ask my friends I, to play I, Duels of the Plains. I, so, for one, you would never do that, right? Because your Switch has a touchscreen. So you could just play Arena with the touchscreen on your Switch. But I do think it will come to Xbox, though, which will require a controller. I just right? can't imagine roping out because my controller is too unresponsive as I'm trying to tap all my lands. Oh, man. I mean, it's it's going to happen, man. Like, it's coming to both. We already, we already know it. They've already said it. All, Brave all new world will, out there. All will be one, man. We'll all, all be playing will against be controller on players. On one platform on every console. Uh, let's talk about all will be one. Each each set review, we talk about sleepers. We talk about hopefuls. We talk about favorites. We talk about hits. And then I tried to introduce a new segment that I cut today because I was late to the podcast. But I, I'm, I'm bringing back the pick two set review top ten. I'm bringing pets in. I'm, when Mason comes back for the next one, we doing it, man. We doing it. I'm sure Mason is going to have some thoughts about pets, but you know, we'll get there. We'll get there when Mason gets back, you know? Yeah. For one, you, you, you try to guess the two of us. Yeah. You try to guess what pets is in the comments on YouTube. Uh, if you can guess what, what the pet segment was going to be today, uh, I will give you $50 to MDGO traders. Uh, so first, first one to guess it. All right, let's go for sleepers cards that you think will show up in decks, but people aren't, talking about uh i'm i'm gonna go first i i think this card is a sleeper because of how people are talking about it um so we have jace the perfected mind this card is two blue and a phyrexian blue phyrexian mana is back um if you want to follow along uh we will actually post all of these in the show notes uh so that you can click the scryfall links this is a legendary planeswalker jace it has completed which means that you know, it, it's it's Phyrexian blue can be paid for two life or a blue. Um, until you're, it has it comes in with five loyalty. It has a plus one until your next turn. Up to one target creature gets plus gets minus three minus zero, uh, minus two. Target player mills three cards. Then if you, if a graveyard any graveyard has twenty or more cards in it, 
you draw three cards, otherwise you draw a card. And then minus X is target player mills three times X cards. Um, so one, I think this card is already on its surface like a really good mill engine. Secondly, I think that mill is like a clear two, tier two deck that has like top eighty challenges. And this card is actually insane in that deck. Uh, I think that it gives it inevitability. I think that it gives it fuel. I think that it gives like... It does everything that deck is missing. I am shocked that people are like, this card will never see play. It's the worst Jace ever printed. I'm like, this is this is the best Mill Planeswalker ever printed by a substantial margin. Yeah, I do want to say um, for completed, there's an important piece of that text where if you pay the Frixian mana, it has two loyalty less. Um, so that is, that is an important note. Thank you. Yeah, so it's like a three mana planeswalker that comes in on three, or a four mana planeswalker that comes in on five. Right, so it could only mill nine if you if you complete it. Like if yeah, you wanted if you to it just in, minus it. Yeah, it mills nine. If you play it for four, it'll mill fifteen. If you want to just minus exit for the full amount, um, I do wonder. I don't know. I haven't played a lot of mill or against a lot of mill in modern recently, but I will say that like the repeated ability to uh like the minus two being visions of beyond which is a card that they usually play in some capacity if there's a like if the match play out such that that's a thing that really matters for the mill deck i'm not sure if that's the case because again i just haven't played a lot of mill or put against a lot of mill my gut says there's not really many games that get that attritiony but I'm not certain. I will say that even just being a Planeswalker that's able to be a three-mana Planeswalker that comes down immediately, draws a card, and then can like invalidate further creatures can be really, really potent in all kinds of matchups outside of just like the mill synergy and milling yourself can be uh, really potent in terms of... Uh, so like... I, I haven't gotten into other format specifics and other deck specifics, but I actually do think that this card milling yourself it is actually a real thing yeah i mean i think a lot of people get caught up on a card that says like you know mill x cards or whatever being like oh i'm just gonna try to deck the opponent like oh this is just another mill card but as uh it does not take much time to realize putting cards from your library in your graveyard and just being able to access them at all is really powerful and there's a lot of ways to use that in a lot of formats and i could see this being a card that you know, in a format like Pioneer where those cards with Delve could be really strong or, you know, in anything where you're trying to just mill yourself um, in any capacity or the game's going really long, uh, this could be could be a very strong um, strong effect. I think that mostly being like a three-mana Planeswalker that can, like, replace itself and then maybe kind of shore up the board in some slower mid-range mashups is, is where I see this card having most potential, but I definitely think it's one that kind of glossed over as being a mill card when it might be a little bit more than that yeah i i what's funny is I, i'm really close to you in that i think that it it's being looked at as a bad mill card when i think it's a good mill card and i think that it is even better because it actually gets to let your mill decks fight on an axis that they were bad at fighting on because i don't think that visions of beyond as a card fits into mill very well Otherwise, we would see it in those decks. The problem is, is like Visions of Beyond doesn't fit because it doesn't fit your game plan. Whereas this card gets to be Visions of Beyond while also fitting your game plan. And I think that's really different for the deck. Yeah. 
Uh, next up, we have four Sword of Fortune Frontier. This card is a it's a sword, uh, and it does what you think it does. It has protection from red and green. It gives up creature plus two plus two. It has equipped two, so it's it's a sword. And then whenever a quick creature deals combat damage to a player, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. You may play an additional land this turn. So uh, if it hits, you can draw a card and play a land. You can play both cards. Um, one, I, I think that people forgot what swords are like in standard because when this card was printed, everybody was like, this card, when this card was spoiled, everybody was like, this card is bad. I believe in my time playing standard, uh, sort of body and mind saw play, sort of feast and them and saw play, sort of war and peace saw play. Uh, I believe those are all the swords that saw, that were available in that time. They all saw play. Uh, I, I have also played like, I just, I think that people forget that standard is a format sometimes. And they're like, oh, this is bad with Stoneforge Mystic compared to like other things that I could do. And I'm actually not even convinced that that's true in modern. Uh, you can probably tell me as the Stoneforge Mystic guy right now, but like pro red and green is like pretty good in modern right now. Uh, could be could be a cyborg card. The problem is is the the creatures it's competing with. But uh, overall, I think this card is definitely good enough in standard. Got slept on a lot because people have people want Sophie, and like not everything can be Sophie. Yeah, I think I don't know. I I do think that we're kind of past the age where swords are as powerful as they were. I mean, the last time that we had swords like this in standard, not only was it there was Stoneforge Mystic, and obviously people talk about. Like, Cobblade was a dominant deck in that era, and then Sword of War and Peace was in, like, the Delver decks as a way to kind of push through, um, like, Spirit Tokens as an endgame plan. But just that idea of, like, playing a powerful equipment that um, has a chance to, like, take over the game if it starts connecting. Back when we got, like, Birds of Paradise and Avacyn's Pilgrim and Llanowar Elves, like, we had just a ton of mana dorks that were not only good at powering out a permanent that needed to be in play... It also needed bodies to start connecting. I was a little bit bigger fan of them there. I do think this sword, its abilities are really powerful. Like people say, like, oh, I want Sword of Fire and Ice, but the strongest part of Sword of Fire and Ice isn't is like A, the protection from red is really important, right? Because red is just most most of the like removal that's splashed into decks. Um and I think that outside of like red and black. You can't really get a better protection. Like those are the two key ones where you really want to have that. Right, and protection. green green makes it unblockable in a lot of matchups. So green is like a a good starting point, in my opinion. Right, it's not a it's definitely not a bad one, but also just draw, effectively like having the possibility of drawing two cards when you're already in a position where you're like, okay, I've invested a bunch of mana onto the board. Yeah, I've got the equipment. Now I'm going to be generating like I'm going to be drawing two cards a turn on top of my draw step if I'm also connecting with a creature. Like, if you're ever in that position, you're probably winning. Well, the, it, it kind of reminds me of Sword and Feast and Famine in that way, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm 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 ahead. I have a I have an equipped sword. Like you're you're in trouble. And then like the equipped sword just buries you. And and I think that that's the thing that Sword of Feast and Famine did in standard. It's not what Sword of War and Peace did, but War and Peace that's it that wasn't what it was for. Uh, Feast and Famine and Sophie do that, and then it, Body and Mind 
had a whole di- it, th- the only reason body mind saw play was protection from green right it is literally the protection from green sword and so all of the pieces of the buffalo all of all of these parts of the buffalo add up to me to like you know we we have a delver deck that could maybe use a pro red pro green sideboard card uh good yeah i think that as much as I might be doubtful that a card like this has room in standard these days, it's it's really hard to say, especially with like a braid being commonplace uh, out of like most decks, and they're not really currently in standard. I think I believe there will be, um, but they're not currently really being a premier like red and green deck that is playing to establish a board state and like outsize people. Right? There's not a need for a sword like this in a lot of matchups, and also artifact is a more vulnerable type than it has been previously. This has all the makings in the same way that, like, Sword of Body Mind was played because it was the only sword out, right? It was released in Scars of Mirrodin, and then Sword of Feast of Him was in Mirrodin Besiege, where people really took over that when it came to, like, what sword you're going to play. Um, well, Body, but Body and Mind came back around, right? Like, it, it as with War and Peace to, like, as a sideboard card for Blue Manji. Oh, right, when there was just the, the Simic deck? Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Yeah, um... But as far as the trigger on the sword, which is like, you know, obviously protection is... The mill 10, whatever. <laughs> but the trigger is similar to Feast and Famine in that Feast and Famine generated you, like, not absolute card advantage, right? It wasn't just draw a card that you would use whenever. Right. And it wasn't, like... but And it generated a man advantage of, okay, you'll get to untap all your lands. So you get to, like, do this now, and if it, this is safe, then you get a free action, basically. In the same way, sort of Forge and Frontier has a way to like snowball out of control and a way of like gaining incremental card advantage on the opponent and gaining a man advantage on the opponent. And both of those yeah. are, are really potent in terms I, of like, I, to piece apart those decks. The card the deck that I see this the most in is actually that blue deck that I talked about, the the like the Delverish decks. Because one mana in that deck to like if you get multiple trigger if you get a trigger and you get one mana, it's like Oh my gosh, like the world is your oyster in that deck. So Yeah, the timing on the card draw might be the biggest barrier for like the mono blue deck where you don't but like the a lot la- of your spells. The land matters reactors. in that deck, whereas Yeah, hitting hitting the, the extra land drops really adds up and probably the protection's pretty important if those matchups start to exist. Like Solarian Terror can't actually hold off everything. Yes. Um but like revealing two counter spells you can only cast during your main phase is is kind of rough so it, it's yeah. probably a balancing act i do think there's room for it to exist yeah um, it, it do- obviously doesn't have the uh the untap on my lands ability of sword and feast and famine that the blue deck really liked but yeah that being said i don't think a card needs to be feast and famine good to uh see have a chance no not at all yeah I, I think i think people definitely have written it off i mean myself included I, i'm a little skeptical of its ability but i think that its ability to exist as a sword and be a card that's really played. But I do think that it has the chops if that's something that is structurally able to happen in standard, you know? I, I actually so. have your first sleeper on my playables list, uh, which should be released tomorrow for patrons. Um, talk to me talk to me about Drown and Icker. So my first sleeper is Drown and Icker. It's one and a black for a sorcery. Target creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn proliferate now this card when i initially was reading the set i was not too certain 
like, you know, minus four, minus four doesn't kill Shieldred. Um, so, like, it's kind of missing on killing one of the premier cards you need to kill for two mana. Like, five toughness is a pretty big uh, stopgap you really want to clear with your removal. But uh, looking at some of the threats that are in uh, one, there's, like, you know, the three mana four four that has toxic and, like, proliferates when it connects, and, like, Glissa is a very, very strong mid-range threat that you play to the board. And there's definitely a need to kill things that aren't just Shieldred, you know? There's, like, Corpse Appraisers that take over the board. There's, um, you know, Rafine, all the creatures in, uh, like, the Soldier's deck all die to this. Um, so it's a really solid removal spell, but evaluating how good Proliferate was wasn't something that really clicked with me until I was thinking about killing i was like oh i guess this could be used to kill a flipped fable mirror breaker and then i was like you know what right now probably the best thing to proliferate is any of the sagas that are seen play the three mana sagas especially in the mid-range decks um you know the uh the triumph of ganjo um fable the mirror breaker like those are the two big ones where getting a full additional turn ahead. Like, it's basically time walk if you if you proliferate one of those sagas because the impact those have on the game when they get to the third chapter and when you're really getting through them, the value they generate is so real and so big that getting to add that saga counter, if you go turn three, yeah, Fable, I, turn four, Drown and Nicker your thing, tick it up, yeah. and now your opponent has to have an answer in the ne- whole turn sooner. Yeah, I, I actually think there's even more this card does than even we're hinting at now. Like, you, you talk about the sagas, but, um, you know, uh, wedding announcement, uh, what is the best part of that thing? It's obviously the crusade, right? And then you even have, I, I'm going to go real, real boomer on you really quick, Abe. I won so many FNMs with blue-black infect with proliferate based upon... Uh, a top eight deck by uh, Brian Kibler that was blue black infect that was like more aggressively slanted blue black infect and then like I turned it into a control deck and then he actually had multiple articles that were really similar. To I remember my... this deck. Yes, and ho- I no joke. I'm looking at this set. I don't know that this deck doesn't exist. Uh, here's the thing: that deck was really bad when the format was pressured the right way, like it, it got killed out of the format really quickly with Cobblade and like with like the right counter spells, right? Like all control decks did, right? Once Cobblade existed, it was like, well, now a control deck can't exist, but we're, we are not in that format in standard. Uh, I, I think that the, the mid range decks are really good, but they are not like so good that like blue, white control exists in standard for some reason. Uh, Blue-black control exists in standard for some reason. Um, None of those have the synergy that this card offers some of these decks. The downside of this card and what I have in my... uh, What I have in my document is that it does not kill Shieldred. Yeah, that's the biggest thing about it is you're going to be signing up to play a two-mana sorcery speed removal spell that doesn't kill arguably the most important single creature. But if you look at it in the lens of like, this can be a card that is really impactful in the early game and set up some really, really powerful stuff in terms of like proliferating sagas or like getting additional loyalty on planeswalkers. Um, things like that, like actually do add up, but especially the sagas was 
yeah. was the biggest one uh, for me. Kind it, of leads it's, into my. It's funny though, because before you move on, I just want to mention like one of my favorite cards in that blue black controlling proliferate infect deck. Uh, while Indoc Nexus was cool, and like while the creatures changed, uh, one of my favorite cards was Tumble Magnet, and I can't imagine this card with Tumble Magnet. Like that sounds like just a really great time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so my other sleeper, which basically for the same reason, for, for me, these sleepers were like just for me, the epiphany that you could proliferate not only your uh, sagas from Kamigawa that uh, have these have these triggers, but your opponents in order to expose them as creatures for your removal spells or whatever, and like really change the window on things is experimental augury, which is one in a blue instant. Look at the top three cards of your library. One in your hand, the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So just anticipate, proliferate. I qualified for a Pro Tour with anticipate my deck. I have no doubt this card is playable. Like Yeah, exactly. Like, this is just a very playable effect that if your deck is built in order to take, you know, even a little bit of use out of proliferate, you know, any amount of reactive control deck that wants to play this, or, you know, if the mono blue deck decides that it, like, can afford to play some of these cantrips, um, and have any way to use the proliferate even by playing its own sagas, things like that, um, is just really, really potent. And for the to evaluate how good proliferate is, I think that some cards are just not going to be there. You know, like like Volt Charge is not a card I'm going to see running around everywhere because on rate it just doesn't perform. But both Experimental Augury and Drowninicker, I think, are cards that do perform on rate in what they're trying to do as far as like just anticipate is an acceptable card that you can you can see putting in your deck in the right circumstance and if the proliferate adds that much to you it becomes kind of like close to an attune with aether scenario where this is just a traditional evergreen effect that smooths out the game but might be drawing me an additional card of value or like generating a disproportionate amount of value by adding these counters elsewhere and if that is the case that your deck can be built such that that's really strong this card is going to go from you know, decent card selection to feeling like experimental frenzy or I, not experimental frenzy, um, expressive iteration. I, I know, I know what you meant. I, I want to call out that um, when War of the Spark came out, and I, it it was actually probably for a full year after that, we had the the five color planeswalker deck, and then I think we had a, a Grixis planeswalker deck, both within that standard, and. Uh, I'm not saying that like that the Super Friends is possible in Pioneer, but I am saying that uh, depending on the we have a one mana removal spell that proliferates in this set that kills Land of War Elves and other stuff, and then we have a bunch of other proliferate spells. Uh, I I could see like that deck being better than something like a, a Niv deck uh, when with cards like these. Yeah, I could also see that being, like, a player in... We've already seen, like, the Leyland Binding Fires decks. Yes. Um, and I could see, like, those Fires decks going... Because there used to be a Jeskai Fires deck that, like, also had... Um, I think it, like, capped out at, like, Chandra Awakened Inferno and stuff like that instead of the Cavaliers. But I could see a return to something like that if the format called for it, of just playing a bunch of Planeswalkers yeah. and Fires as a way to get the man ahead of it and proliferating for value. Yeah, the the I don't remember the name of the land, but the like the filter land that makes any colors you want 
for planeswalkers and gain two life like that is a huge get in pioneer that can uh really really fix a lot of the problems along with fires like that's another good point so uh, I, I, I think that both these cards fit into those style of decks really well, too, and I wanted to call that out. Uh, you, your hopeful, your first hopeful is not included on my playables list. and That's sad to me. I, I love this card so much, and I want you to convince me to put it on there right now. Go ahead. Okay, so my first hopeful is Koth, Fire Resistance. Uh, Koth is a 4-mana Planeswalker, 2 red-red for a 4-low 2 Planeswalker with the abilities plus 2. Search your library for a basic mountain card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and then shuffle. Minus three, Koth, Fire Resistance deals damage to target creature equal to the number of mountains you control. And minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a mountain enters battlefield under your control, this emblem deals four damage to any target. So, here's, I, here's the deal. Can I, can I say some, one thing before you start? Yeah. I thought... Oh man, two pluses, then I get the ult? Mmm, that's spicy. Is it on your or list? Or one plus and a proliferate, Spencer. Ooh, you gotta, you're going, you you're, think think, you're thinking big here. Yeah, so I'm really hopeful for this card because I think that if there's a card, so currently there's a lot of cards in standard that are tuned towards like being a red aggressive deck right there's a there's so many red one drops there's such a huge variety of them that were already in the format between like rabbit battery and gold hound and um you know reinforced ronin and experimental synthesis these are all really good red cards they are also adding multiple more very playable red one drops to the format in one this card speaks to wanting there to be more than just that you know, like really an ability for red to go towards kind of that big red uh, identity of like, I'm going to play a red mid-range deck where most of my game is about um, like playing threats that are big and and like generate value by being in play um, and hitting a bunch of land drops, kind of getting to the point of casting big red spells, which is very, uh, very mirrored to me. But Koth... I think really reads so close to me of like, like it, it's, it's just a little bit of elbow grease and squinting away from being Chandra Torture Defiance. I freaking knew you were going to say that. I knew it. So, like, as you were talking, I was like, he's going to pair this with Torture Defiance. So here's the thing. I don't disagree with that. My problem is that as far as I know, this will be in standard with Jaya the whole time. Yeah, I think there's a really, really different card than Jaya. I, well, I also think that half the time it will be in standard with Chandra, the three mana Chandra. And to me, if I'm going to play a four mana Planeswalker with that three mana Chandra, Jaya makes more sense. Like, you know what? Maybe we're going like eight drops. Like, if we're going like eight drops and like we're going to go. The thing is. Man, if this card put that mountain into play, this would be like the most Spencer card. I mean, that would just be, come on. That would, come be, on. That would be the most Spencer card ever. That, I think, sorry, not to cut you off. No, go ahead. I think the thing for me about this cough is that it's it's a little lacking in the card pool around it right now. But I think that Chandra and and in some degrees cough, right? Chandra kind of says, maybe you want to play a Morph card like Jaya that plays the board. But 
No, I, I think that Chandra, the the thing that I like about Three Mana Chandra is that it cares about, like, it, it makes your mana bigger. Like, that's one of the reasons I like Devastator in the red decks. Like, I know that red decks haven't been a thing for a couple weeks, but or maybe like two months. But like, as we look at the format moving forward and we see things like proliferate and we see other things like, you know, some of these decks that care about using your mana and that mana caring about whether it be plus one, plus one counters and other stuff. Uh, using your mana, Chandra makes a lot of sense for that. Koth, honestly, like, four mana, get a land, is so bad in, like, a deck like that. So you have to convince me that four mana, get a land, is good while being able to protect it. How are you going to, like, what is the bridge spell that protects this? Yeah, so I think that this, you have to think of this as, like, the the four mana kill a thing or the turn six four mana planeswalker plus something else right where this is going to set up and maybe you have some amount of proliferate effects that you're kind of naturally baked in the real difficulty to me is that you have to play a lot of basic mountains um for this to really work i mean the emblem does work with any mountain so um you can play like two colors with this as long as you're very very heavily base red but um, so the minus, the minus, also, the minus also works for the any mountain. It's not just the plot, the, the emblem. Yes. Yeah. And so really like the challenge for me of the card is figuring out how it is you're going to turn finding basic mountains into a plus for you, not a minus. I think Fable, we're going to talk about Fable a lot when we talk about standard because that card is just so good. But Fable does a lot of heavy lifting in that already. You know, finding additional mountains is not always going to be bad especially if you're like playing a game where this is going to all like if there's a really reactive deck or not a deck that doesn't really pressure um planeswalkers very well right like if you're playing it's a blue white control deck and you're kind of a red based mid-range deck that plays a cough and pluses it and is threatening to like either proliferate or plus again the next turn and then like emblem with two mountains in hand that's eight damage that like right there and every mountain yeah. you're going to draw is turned on and i think that especially a lot of the core really strong cards in red as much as there's a bunch of good one drops the ones that are really impressive ones like synthesizer ones like chandra um you know those are cards that are really good because they're so versatile and can lend themselves to these different kinds of game plans and they play bigger card advantage yeah. games or smaller condensed games i think cough is kind of a unlike jaya which is still kind of in both lanes right yeah. it, it wants you to have a bunch of creatures in play to really use it for the most controlling of the board. But Koth, I think, wants you to be playing a bigger game, doing a little more with with not as many creatures. And I think if that's a thing going on, I'm really hopeful for that. We would have normally had a full podcast on this, but I want to mention it somewhere during this podcast. This might be the perfect time. The, uh, the next season will be Pioneer only for RCQs. The following season will be Modern only. And I believe... It's not confirmed yet, but it is believed that the season after that will be standard only. Uh, and by only, that means the only constructed format. Uh, that the other format will be whatever is available and limited. That would mean that this card would see play without uh, Chandra for a standard season. So it would be a really good, alongside Jaya, like mid-level uh, Planeswalker. So, I, I listen, I don't know that you convinced me, but I wanted to challenge you because I... Cough of the Hammer... One of my favorite cards. Uh, just like, I actually remember the first Cough of the Hammer I opened 
uh, it was this, the, the day after I opened this Lotus Cobra back-to-back tournaments. And, like, my 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 heart, like, exploded in happiness. Uh, th- this card does a lot. And it does do Chandra stuff. I don't know if they convinced me. But I'm glad it's a hopeful. Because I am also yeah, hopeful. I mean, you know, it's I'm a card, card I'm praying for. Uh, my next? other hopeful is uh, Kemba Ka Enduring, uh, which is uh, one on a white for a legendary creature cat cleric. The 2-2 that has whenever Kemba Ka Enduring or another cat enters the battlefield under your control, attach up to one target equipment you control to that creature. Equipped creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and it has three white, white, create a 2-2 white cat creature token. Now, you may have heard of a card, Spencer, and let me know if you've heard of this one. Um, called Colossus Hammer. You ever heard of Colossus Hammer? Once or twice. I think I have a a pending token to be printed of Abe Stein with one on his back. Yeah. So, I... The reason that this is my, my hopeful is that I would love to see, and I think they've really printed a lot of cards that have embraced the, like, snap-on identity of equipment as being, like, really cool that players really like. Um, but it's really Colossus Hammer being just such a sweet card in flavor and being so simple that also is just so powerful when you're really, like, cheating it on the things. Um, seeing that archetype kind of find its way and find its footing in Pioneer would be really cool, and a card like this is, like, almost necessary for anything like I, that to happen, because you, you already have Cigar Aid, but you can't live yeah, on just Cigar This is, like, the most, like... This is, like... Listen... I got a lot of ELO points from Core Outfitter myself, like by putting like Core Outfitting like uh, what's the name of the armor card? Argentum armor. Argentum armor. Thank you. You know what I'm talking. Plus six, plus six. Yeah. You vindicate everything. Yeah. Abe is like Abe is like man. I played so much Quest for the Holy Relic too, man. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's squat. You know what? That deck was so good against Cobblade before Feast and Famine. It was crazy. It was like a buy. People are like, oh, Cobblade's the best deck. I was like, nah, you don't even need to ban that stuff. We just freaking play Quest for the Holy Relic. All of our cards cost one mana. They can't even beat us. That mana leak looks so bad. And then it's like, oh, we're in trouble. That uh, that stuff fixes it. But, uh, you know, memories aside, Kem- Kemba? Here's the thing. This is not on my standard playables list because I don't believe there's standard equipment for it. Although, as I've gone through the set, I'm more and more likely to put this on my standard playables list. I do think that, like, if you are like, ah, Spencer and Abe did a video of talking about Hammer, and, like, they talk about the importance of Core Outfitter for, like, five minutes. Like, is that card still necessary? This just does that. And then also, in your deck that is already, like, has a bunch of mana lying around for no reason, makes tutus, and also, like, makes your stuff bigger... I don't know. This this card make I actually knew this was going to be on your list and didn't put it on mine. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's it, Core Outfitter putting it on something else and not itself is like a little bit of an insurance policy and you can like get a little bit more out of it, but as far as like the pioneer card pool goes, it's really 
you know, a, a first edition of like a creature you can actually play that kind of start when you when all of your good cards outside of Colossus Hammer or like the enablers for Colossus Hammer are creatures, it makes your game plan a lot easier to it, execute. It is a turn slower. I, I will give you that. That I that is not something that I thought about. Where like, if you wanted to put it on, like it, one of the nice things about Core Outfitter is I move it to the left, but here I'm I have to, Yeah, here I have to move it to here. And I still have to wait. But one of the nice things is that now I am a threat to just make a 12-12 for the rest of the game. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say about the card, though, is that outside of that application, I do think that with the amount of the, like, new living weapon creatures, the, the like, cre there's cards with four Mirrodin on them, which is a mechanic where when the equipment comes into play, you create a 2-2 red rebel token and attach it to it. But the equipped creatures you control get plus one plus one text is, you know, not nothing. I think there are decks that like if any of those are playable, Liv or living weapon exists in standard for what it's worth. Jeremy, what was that? I said living weapon exists in standard too. Like actual living weapon. The the mechanic living weapon right is is that not what it's called? The new one is four mirroring, so you get a two-two, not a two. Right, turn. but living living weapon is from two sets ago. What card had living weapon? Living weapon. Uh, last use. It's actually in this set. Oh, I'm not thinking of living weapon. What is the what is the mechanic called that has? Uh, man, this is really good. It's not called that, and I need to fix my set review document. Uh, it's called Reconfigure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have the Reconfigure stuff. Attached to creature control or unattached creature control. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the modular stuff yeah. in Kamigawa, the, the yep. creatures that yep. act as Thank equipment, you. too. Yeah, so that's another thing where... Where you equipment know, matters. Rabbit so battery. Yes. Rabbit bat There's a lot of playable, cheap... Um, equipment. Like like equipment that you might play that are also just creatures like lion sash. It's like, the, like it's like the it's like the it's like the inverse of what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. And in that part, like even outside of you know like Pioneer trying to use just to enter the battlefield ability, the equipped creatures you control get plus one plus one tech does mean that this could be in a lot of contexts just like a two mana lord for some important creatures. It is also an army in a box card, like that like five mana make a two two is like not the best but it is a mana sink on your two mana creature there's a lot of things that just like generically make the card good outside of this like one corner case although really the reason i'm hopeful for it is that i would like to play colossus hammer in more formats even just for even if it's not as good as playing the green machine or red black mid-range and pioneer i'd have fun doing it what's so. up my helpfuls and mine are i think less good than yours maybe all right let's go to the first one uh, we have Green Sun's Twilight. This is our first Twilight card. This card is Green X. Uh, it's a sorcery. Reveal the X plus one. That's important. Uh, cards of your library. Uh, and then choose a creature card and or a land card from among them. Put the cards into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library. If X is five or more, instead of put those cards onto the battlefield. Um, so listen. This is a top end ramp spell. That is all it is good for. And ramp has to be playable in order for this card to be playable. That is not true right now. But I'm hopeful that we get like Cultivate or like 
rampant growth or farseek or like something that puts lands into play, uh, explore effects uh, to make this card playable in the next year. Uh, I think that it as a draw two is fine in some mid-range decks and like maybe there's a mid-range deck that could make that work where it needs like an X spell to top out. But I am not as hopeful there. I think this is very much a ramp spell that like goes from like six into uh six into like nine or something. Like like really cool rampy stuff. Uh, I don't know. We talked about um in the ramp episode last week, we talked about like the summoner's trap ramp effect or whatever of like you know, getting to six and then if your things you're putting into play are just that good, then like getting that far is what matters. This card at six mana is basically Summer's Trap, right? You look at the top six, you put yes, a creature point yes. into play. And, and so if there's something like Eldrazi level yes. strong that you can cheat in, but it has to be makes it worth ramping. But it has to be six or less still to do that. Because it's still in order to put Oh, I guess it doesn't. No, because X is just the amount of cards you look at. Uh, so if you have an Emrakul in your sixth card, and yeah, you pay this, six mana I've, to do that... I've fallen for this trap every time. I've tra- fallen for this trap every time it's been printed. Get it? That was a joke. Um, but I, I do think that like this is like a fine divination. Uh, and then for green decks, specifically, for what it's worth, like that's what Cultivate was anyway. So like if, the, like if Look at the Top 2 is like literally divination for your green deck that's usually fine as long as your deck isn't built upon the ramp being the important part of the divination. The thing is, is like, that's not what I like. I want the ramp to be the important part of the divination. So if, if cultivate and this were in the same set, right. Or like we're in the same format, I'd be fine with that being like, okay, three man green has it's three mana thing. Just like, uh, you know, uh, uh, fable and, all of that stuff. Like, I also get a three mana do something. Um, but we don't have Cultivate. We don't have Rampant Growth. We do, I don't even think we have a reasonable ramp spell that does this. Uh, that helps this card. This has to be a future. We do have... Uh, we've got some explosive vegetation. We've got, like, some fours that get you up two lands. We might have one. I think, I think there's one in this set as well. Oh, is there? I haven't gotten through green yet for my set review so that that would be good um, but yeah so that would mean that you could just like play that on four and then do this on five but really what this card reminds me of uh and like recent memory is storm the festival yeah I, that is what the it difference is that me instead of, of having the like instead of having the the flashback is like the the fail rate and you go to grind through you have the you have the fail rate in the other way. Do you, you know that one of my most like from. popular series is on YouTube outside of like gameplay videos? What? It is literally just me building Storm of the Festival standard decks. <laughs> I like legitimately that is one of my favorite cards ever printed. Uh and I built every ramp deck I bet like with bind- when it when binding of the old gods was in standard, like I just literally if there had been PTQs, that is what I would have been playing. I, In fact, yeah. there was an RCQ that I didn't get to go to because I got sick that I would have just played a uh, Binding of the Old God decks. So, that's fine. Uh, next up, we have Crawling Chorus. 
This card is a 1 mana, 1-1 one, one with Toxic. 1 player still combat damage by this player, all, by this cr creature also get a poison counter. Uh, so, so correct me if I'm wrong. If it has Toxic 2, they get 2. If they have Toxic 1, they get 1. I don't think there's anything with Toxic 3, but they would get 3. Is that correct? That's correct. I think there's also, there's like one green uncommon that's just like a big worm with like Toxic 6 or something. That's great. I didn't see that yet. Uh, and then when it dies, you get a 1-1 one, one Might Artifact creature with Toxic 1, and this creature can't block. This is also in your pick too, is it not? Um, no, no. Crawling Chorus didn't make mine. It was okay. close though. I do like a good Doom Traveler. So here's the thing. Uh, I wrote... I do, I'm doing. I like do these set reviews as far as I can get for as long as I can get with my kids. I fully plan on finishing this one for standard to like make level zero decks uh, to talk about with my testing team. I can assure you that there is a level zero deck that I will be testing with this card in it due to toxic and the way the mechanic works and the way that this card works. Um, I. It's funny that I have this as hopeful because I kind of actually hope that that deck doesn't exist. I think that the the style of decks and the the, car, the decks that this card fits in usually put a really gross. Um, I guess Toxic doesn't do that the way that Invect did, so maybe it won't matter. I don't know. I don't know how this mechanic is going to play out, but like, I, I really like that there is. A bunch of green, white, black, blue, toxic one things are really cheap that, like, this card fits into that. And, like, okay, uh, let's say that it's three mana. Like, let's say that it's two mana. Let's say that it's one mana. I, I think that this card um, becomes a linchpin for, like, getting over the threshold of, like, just needing to push through toxic damage um, and or having enough, enough things. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, especially for Crawling Chorus, one of the, these, like, 1-1 one, one Phyrexian Might Artifact Reach tokens with Toxic 1 that can't block, they're kind of like an evergreen token of the set. There's a lot of things that make them. I have, uh, uh, like, I'll be talking about them um, later on in the show. But having a body that not only, like, is just that Toxic 1 body and is able to block, that that's pretty big for a deck that's trying to, like, establish a wide ground force or like really you know send an attack of a bunch of really small things um like that's just having an attacker you can afford to have die or that they can't really afford to block or don't want to trade with that's pretty good and then also just you know like doom traveler hunted witness these kinds of like the white one one for one that when it dies makes a token of some theme of importance is some level of playable in decks that really need creatures and material early and late, you know, or, like, have ways that they have sacrifice effects, ways to use a creature as a body, right? Like, this card with... If you're playing, like, a black-white deck, you can play Rite of Oblivion, and if you're playing Rite of Oblivion as, like, a premier removal spell to answer stuff, like, just catch whatever, Crawling Chorus is definitely on the list of things that you want to put in that deck if you're going to be going wide at all, because... You're gonna be, it just generates more permanence for its body, and that is like the most relevant thing. And then, and then the next decks like that having toxic as a way to like make it so that they don't get invalidated by like, yeah, you know, I, some amount of life gain in a mid game. Well, well, not only that, but like it, it, that. So, oh, you just hit on a really key point that I was gonna mention. 
so like wedding announcement, you're like, well, why would I want that in my toxic deck, right? Like, it doesn't actually increase my toxicity. It's like, well, it doesn't need to, right? Like, your creatures are still dealing damage this entire time. So you're pressuring them on multiple axes, which is not true before. And so now, if I'm pressuring them and I have a wedding announcement, I'm getting two twos that can either buffer me while I attack them, or just like, whatever, like, let's keep going in this direction. Like, they have to prioritize blocking this 1-1 with Toxic instead. Yeah, like, if there's a if there's a deck that's going to successfully get, just like, go widen the board and get, like, a lot of these random Toxic bodies, like, suddenly the whole, like, okay, I'll alpha my team of tokens and you're, like, three creatures just to connect for four damage doesn't feel so bad because four poison counters at that stage of the game, instead of them being like, well, yeah, I'll just go from, like, 12 to 8 doesn't matter i'll eat the other half of your team next turn it might be that they're going from four poison to eight poison and now they're effectively at two so if you're able to build up a board suddenly they can't really attack you back because your attack back is lethal with the poison counter so it'll be really interesting i think toxic is one of those mechanics that's definitely the most difficult to evaluate because it plays so differently with something so familiar but um yeah i definitely think that crawling chorus is uh is, is sweet yeah, let's go to the next one. I have Luca Bond to Ruin. So this card, uh, really quickly, is uh, two red, complete red, green, green. Uh, Luca Planeswalker. Uh, it's completed, so it comes in with two less if if you complete it. Uh, it's plus one. It's add two. Uh, this mana can only spend to cast creature spells. This is really important because we actually already talked about a ramp spell that I like. I want to be good, right? And this card doesn't play with that ramp spell. This, I feel like this is so specific too. I want to be clear that I think we're getting ramp spells in the future because they did this. Like, like this card can't be gotten by the card we just talked about, and it doesn't cast the card we just talked about. So. Uh, and then it has a minus three, put a three, three beast with toxic one. Toxic one is important there. Man, can you imagine if it was toxic three? Ooh, this card would be so good. Uh, you're crazy. <laughs> uh, and then minus four, it deals X divided as you choose for any number of targets and or uh, target creatures and or planeswalkers where X is the greatest number uh, among creature control. Uh, so this, this card, I don't, it's really weird because, like, it's got this plus ability. You're like, oh, this fits into, like, this rampy deck. But it actually doesn't cast ramp spells. And it's also a four-mana, quote-unquote, Planeswalker uh, that doesn't get to use its minus four right away. This card is really confusing. But I think this card's really good. Uh, I, think, I think this card, like, uh, when we look at kind of gruel decks right now gruel was really close it had really bad mana in standard uh it's getting copper line gorge which is that on your list i actually didn't look no all right well let's talk about it so the fast lands are back um for allied colors and gruel getting that is a really big deal because gruel had really rough mana in fact i top aided a an RCQ, uh, like a big one, like a six-round RCQ. Uh, six, maybe it was bigger than that. Uh, where everyone was like, "Oh, I like I I think Spencer's deck is bad because it's playing the what is the name of the stupid land that I played? The fast land that 
it's like a fast it picks a basic land type but the base it only gets one of them and then it's mana confluence for that oh thran portal yes i played thran portal because my mana was that bad to play this three color uh thran uh, portal's rough yes you're out here doing the most dude i really was and now like that werewolves deck just gets both freaking Razor Ridge Thicket and uh, Copperline Gorge. And uh, Luca just gets Razor Ridge Thicket and Copperline Gorge. I, I think that the mana is going to help these type of decks a ton. I don't know why this beast needed Toxic for what it's worth. That actually just seems like a tack on. That's weird. Uh, I guess it's because it's completed, but it like just making that 3 3 was already pretty powerful. And that minus ability anytime you have any large creature is uh, unreasonable in a lot of spots, especially for how it's worded. Yeah, this card, like, it reminds me of Garrick Wildspeaker uh, as just being, like, at four mana, it's a three loyalty planeswalker that could just be coming down on four to just make some three threes and be on its way out. Or they did limit the mana on it. The Garrick Wildspeaker, like, untaps two lands, and this just adds a red and a green that you can only use for creatures. But if you're just a deck that's kind of, like, this is the Some best dudes. part of Arlen, by the way. If you've ever played Arlen, like, that already was, like, the best part of it. Was just adding a red and a green. Yeah, like, getting ahead two mana, especially if your deck's just full of creatures and you need to be playing to the board. This card is very, very good at playing to the board, and it has. Compared to, uh, compared to Garrick Wildspeaker, instead of this kind of the overrun ultimate, this kind of has, like, a kicker where you can just pay five mana to cast it and if you have your big creature in play already but you need to generate some space and clear down the board or kill a planeswalker or something this comes down you minus four it you know you get to you get to like kill two things of theirs or whatever because you have a five five in play and then like then you're still attacking and you still have your planeswalker so i think it's really like uh it's not ever going to be it's kind of like Hotly, you know? It's not ever going to be a card that is going to be breaking the game wide open, it feels like. Like, your deck kind of has to be doing that. But it does feel like from a lot of different spots, it's going, you know, it's going to be able to be that that resource factory. It's going to be able to push out some creatures that are well-sized. It's going to be able to, you know, maybe answer something in play if you have the, the man and loyalty for it, or it's going to be able to help you just kind of, like, develop your game a bit. And all of those together, like, yeah. make it a very playable it, card. It's modal. Five drop is actually really good in something like the deck I just talked about. Like, I haven't thought a ton about that Werewolves deck just due to its matchup versus Grixis, but, like, as we talk about the set, and as I think about it, like, it actually fits into the deck really well. Uh, could be really interesting. So, uh, next up we have... Capricious Hellraiser. Uh, Capricious Hellraiser? It's a Phyrexian Dragon, man. And it costs three less off of its three red, red, red mana cost. If you have nine or more cards in your graveyard, it doesn't care what cards. Uh, and it enters the battlefield. Uh, exile three cards at random from your graveyard. Choose a non-creature, non-land card from among them. Copy it, and you may cast it without paying its mana cost. I... I don't know what it is about this card, but somebody's going to make it happen, man. Like, it's going to happen in standard specifically, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if somebody made this happen in Pioneer where it was good. I'm glad you put this card on your list of cards that were your favorite, 
because this was definitely one of my favorite cards when I looked at the set. And really, like, one thing about the set is that, especially because Toxic in and of itself is so difficult to evaluate um, at its face, it feels like a lot of the cards for me, like, really have fallen under this favorite or hopeful kind of bucket as far as what it is I'm, I'm looking at in the set. And that is a really, really cool place to be in Magic, where I feel like I'm just really, I'm just rooting for all the cards to be good. And I feel like a lot of them could be. And even if they're not, I'm like, these cards are sweet. That's the thing, though. If I can play, pay red, red, red for a three-drop, four-four dragon that does this, like, cool. I, like, I, whatever happened to make me play red, red, red on turn three had nine cards in my yard. Like, I deserved that. Like, that was deck building. That was sequencing. There's so much that had to go right for this card to be sick. That if it is sick, I really hope it's sick. Now, you know what card this goes well with that we were just talking about earlier? Jace as a little self-mill ender. I, you know, uh, there are actually a couple other spells, matters, like modal cards in standard. We Bloodthirsty Adversary uh, doesn't hate the type of cards that this deck would want to be with. Um, I think there's one more that I'm forgetting. But uh, it is definitely red-focused with, like, a blue splash that I could see. Uh, honestly, like, if you can make it happen, good for you. The mana is... It's funny. I got I got some comments on Twitter that, like, we're in a three-mana format. I was like, and the mana's getting better. I'm like, I don't know that the mana's getting better for three-mana decks. And the mana's getting better for mono-color splash-something decks. Three-mana decks are getting worse mana. Uh, the format is speeding up. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of said this before. I don't know if I said it on any episodes of the podcast, but one of the big things about the format, I actually think I didn't in standard right now. One of the big things about the format is that soldiers is the premier aggro deck, the blue white soldiers deck, and that to me is very much in part because they have, um, they have Adderker wastes. They have an extra land. They have an extra right. They have, they have Adderker wastes, just like everyone else. Yes, but they also have the they have the the tribal land where they can, like they can name the tribe the the mech hanger or whatever. Yes, um, and then they they have the, uh, they have the tribal land that is you reveal a soldier. Right. So they actually get access to actual good mana as an aggressive deck with right. untapped sources of both colors to play spells in the first three turns of both colors with high consistency and even right. cast multiple spells of multiple different colors by turn four. That's not something that any other aggressive right. color and, combination has And that's why you see right like mono black being a deck. You see mono white being a deck. And like, listen, like mono white, green, red, like all of these things that are going to get access to the fast lands are now going to be like, okay, well we can play like mono red splash green now. Like we can play all of these mono colored decks and like be aggressive to do this. And this card being red, red, red in its true mana cost at its best moment, I don't know where that fits. Because you know what's not in here is Spire Bluff Canal. Spire Bluff Canal is not entering the format. Like that's that's not suddenly right. happening. So this this card will be a challenge, but it is it is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, and I just think that as far as the man in the format goes, we're not going to touch on Fastlands here, but there is a lot to really understand as to. You know, what Spencer's saying about the three-color mana does get a little better, but really what benefits is going to be decks that are trying to cast multiple cheap, you know, two-color spells in a tight window in the early game 
and fast lanes help that the most. Every other aggressive deck is going to start getting the kind of mana that soldiers had. Every other two color game plan is going to have that kind of mana access, and that is going to be really big for them and not nearly as big for the decks that had, you know, access their untapped splash sources and their tri lands already, um, but are going to be facing them decks that can just cast better spells faster with the fast lands. Let's talk about the card that got the sickest upgrade to art I've ever seen, and that's Phyrexian Obliterator. This card is black, 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 black. Yes, Phyrexian Obliterator, my first favorite of the set, is black, 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 black for a 5-5 trample. Whenever source deals damage for Obliterator, that source of controller sacrifices that many permanents. A classic, really, ever since releasing new Phyrexia, one of my favorite cards, period. Um... Like, even since then, I, I think I, I played in my first PTQ. I played a nice mono-black mid-range deck in a format where people main deck sort of Feast and Famine and four ways to tutor for it. Um, not necessarily my best decision, but we live and learn. Um, really, I just love this card. I, I could not talk about this set without talking about how much this card is just sweet. And especially in a world where, like, you know, is it really going to compete with Shieldred? Probably not. It attacks through Shieldred. I want to call that out uh, like it does it, they, they can block it and then what happens happens uh they sacrifice four permanents so it, i like i like that people were so down on shieldred when it was i actually am just gonna say this during this segment because i actually was in, so infuriated drunkenly uh as i was getting the flu so i was like double infuriated that people were <laughs> like I, I was losing it uh shieldred is a sick magic card. But the amount that it is Phyrexian Obliterator is so much. Where the difference is that it's not black, 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 black. So, uh, I will say that this card, if you are playing black, and they're playing Children, and you're playing this, which one is favored if neither of you has a removal spell, Abe? Oh, I mean, I think it is actually the Children. No, it's not. It is. You just take five and you attack back, and then they take seven. They take six on the turn cycle. No, and you no, take no, 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 no. Because, because hold on, they can never block this. You can always block. Okay, you're saying that like all of your other resources can avoid you taking the four, yes. but they're still only taking three. How are they only taking? Th- I mean, they are because they're gaining three. two life every draw. Sure, it, it's okay. like. I think Shouldered's really, really good. I do too. I'm not. Really, I'm not really saying Shouldered is bad. I'm saying this card is Shouldered. Yeah, I still don't think. I think there's so many. Like I don't know. I think the the amount that Shouldered is good is still better the, than this card. The, but I, I will, I will this. say this. I will say that if you're not playing against Mono Black and they have Fable, Shouldered's way better. That so like there are things that Shouldered does better, but I'm not convinced that Shouldered is this like uncuttable on un- like we literally have seen multiple decks that just cut shoulder they're like no people are playing around this i'm not doing this anymore and they do fine like that's what this card is it's what it's yeah, always but, been but is and obliterator going to solve the problem if there's too many destroy evils uh no that's not what i'm saying at all though but like if you if you have to play a like a split of four drops, would you not be more interested now in Pioneer to play a 1-1 split in Mono Black for this? I mean, look, I'm never going to not want to play first in Obliterator. This one's not even legendary. That's true. It's not legendary. 
And I will say, if your deck can cast Invoke Despair, it can probably cast Burst Invigorator. It can. Invigorator. It can do both. It should, uh, it should be able to do both. I just... I... 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 Uh, was always low on Children. I also originally thought Children was 5 mana. So, my expectations have always been set low. But, uh... <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't believe that people think do not see how these cards are similar. I'm talking to you, Andy. They are similar. I, I do think that in the sense that they're four drops that really change the dynamic of the game when they come down and have rules around them for how they engage. Uh, like they're very similar in that dynamic. I think that just like because of the the nature of like children netting value when it's not immediately answered and like punishing the opponent even when it's not entering combat. Like, Obliterator might have just seen its time come and go, despite it being one of my favorite cards. But I could not... Uh, like I said, man, I, I played this card in my first PTQ in a form where people had four... Four tutors for their one sort of Feast and Famine in, like, the only deck people really played. And I was like, you know what? It's just so good. I make you really happy, man. This card also plays the Degree Merchant of Asphodel in those formats. Uh, next up, we have Conduit of Worlds. Talking about this card. Yeah, my other favorite is Conduit of Worlds, which is an artifact for two green-green that says you may play land cards from your graveyard, and it has tap, choose target, non-land permanent card in a graveyard in your graveyard. If you haven't cast a spell this turn, you may cast that card. If you do, you can't cast additional spells this turn, activate only as a sorcery. I think this is just a really, really cool play on, like, a card that uses, that, like, regrows out of your graveyard right like the long grindy game engine the like you know we've really run out of things and we're we're trying to regrow um or like for self-mill strategies just being like your crucible of worlds and your uh like and a little bit of value on top is like a permanent regrowth machine i don't think it's gonna be like very constructed played but it is just a card where i just really like the design of it, and I think the Conduit of Worlds is something to do with, like, the Phyrexians take on the World Tree, and, like, there's a bunch of flavor there, and it's just really sick, and I really like, I really like the big graveyard tree. On this episode of CCMTG EDH Commander, <laughs> this card is sick. <laughs> this card, this card would go into my binder and go into any Commander deck that I had. This is, this is a fun time. I'm just a I'm just a sucker for cards like this. I don't know. I mean, this this There's is so much kind value. of like your season. It's so pass. much value. Like we're just both addicted to value, and we're fine to admit it. I'm not gonna lie. I want to talk about your first hit though, because I didn't know that this wasn't on my list. Okay, yeah. So my first hit. Now that we're out of the cards that I just really like and think are neat, in the cards I think are good and I think are neat, um, we have Skrell's Defector Might. Single white for a legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian Might, with that's a 1 1 with toxic 1 that can't block. And it has the ability Phyrexian White Mana, tap, so either white or two life, tap, choose a color. Another target creature you control gains toxic 1 and hexproof from that color until end of turn. It can't be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. I've seen and heard a lot of people asking like i mean i've gotten questions of like oh is this card going to be good in hammer it's an artifact creature it's kind of like a giver of runes is it going to be good like that no is this card really good yes the ability That's... for this card to be like a giver of runes on the standard power level of i'm going to counter your removal spell or i'm going to make it so i can attack through your things like that is so so strong and so much 
like value, especially in a format like standard, where if you're playing a one drop creature, like you play this on turn one, the odds of your opponent, if they have a try land on turn one, or, you know, like they just don't, they're playing a bunch of mid range spells. So they're like, they don't have a ton of one mana ways to interact. Now, every, like it is a lightning rod that needs to be answered before every other creature that you play gets answered or on its own, it's going to start the kind of toxic train of getting some poison counters down if that's something that matters uh, for your deck. And it's just a really, really powerful effect and a really powerful card at such a good rate. Yeah, we've already talked about some of the, 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 I mean, a card that goes with this card as far as like cheap one mana white cards that do this. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to pull this up really quick. Um, so forgive me, podcast listeners, but like um, my drive... But I have, I'm just going to list off, of the playable cards that I have in white, I'm just going to list the decks that I have them playable in, okay? I have Toxic White Decks, Toxic White Decks, Toxic White Decks, White Midrange Decks, Toxic White Decks, White Decks at Large, White, Mono White Midrange Decks, White Decks at Large, Toxic White Deck, Toxic White Decks, uh, Unknown. So, I think there's a theme in this set for Toxic White Decks. Uh, yeah, White Green is definitely the Toxic like I, that's just in white cards that i see standard playable i'm just talking about standard in this that's all my sheet is for and the the thing about this card is is like i got a i got a i got a coaching session with somebody that they were like oh this card can't block like how could it possibly be good like you can't do that thing and it's like yeah that's why you can't do that like no i don't get a block with this target itself Given protection uh, from well, a... it says another target creature on the ability. Well, I mean, that's even double double the reason they're really messing around. Then that's but it's actually not like, not it's what not I like said really, in the coaching It's session. not like you're ever really trying to block with your giver of runes, anyway. You know, like that's, that's not no, that's true. totally it's fair. There to protect because it, it, because it would do the other thing anyway. I, I that that's totally fair. That's a good point, Abe. Uh, I I think all around this card is. It does, it does a really good job of being a light... Like, what a perfect creature to be legendary to that is like... If they don't need to you answer... get two of them. Yeah, like... Who cares? <laughs> answer the first one. And if they can, they can. I don't know. I I think this card is a total hit in standard. Um, I think depending on Pioneer and how Pioneer looks with these toxic creatures... We have so many... Toxic cards that are so different than Infect uh, in a real way that I, I do think that there's something to be said there. And I think that we have an insane sideboard card that is your next card uh, that I, I want to talk about too. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about Skrull though is that like as an artifact creature outside of just standard, like not only in standard does it protect, it allows you to just like play some creatures you want to protect and then have them be protected. Like this is going to be a barrier it's like having a shield counter on all of your creatures that you play afterwards. So like if you're trying to just play a creature, it's good. But also being an artifact creature for formats like Pioneer, where you might want to do something like in Soul Artifact something. This is an artifact. No, I, I totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah, super good. So um, my next card, though, is Skrelv's Hive. So really, Skrelv is just the best character uh, on, on the set for me. Um, and this is... Uh, a one of the white enchantment. This is the beginning of your upkeep. You lose one life and create a 1-1 colorless Phyrexian Might artifact creature token with toxic one, and this creature can't block. 
And it also has the text corrupted. As long as the opponent has three or more poison counters, creatures you control with toxic have lifelink. So this card is basically a bitter blossom with the exception that it doesn't do the thing that Bitter Blossom did of... Well, it doesn't necessarily do the thing Bitter Blossom did of making it so your opponent can't attack you, because they can attack you. What it does do is that it says that you are going to just constantly have... Um, like, be generating more and more attackers with these toxic tokens, and that eventually, if you're getting that initial, like... If in the early game you're getting that initial burst of toxic in... Now, all of your other toxic creatures, including the tokens you're making, are going to gain that life back for you. So even if you're in a position where, like, okay, I got them to three poison, I have this Skrelv's Hive, but I'm, like, I'm kind of bleeding out to it because I can't get anywhere with it, you can just start alphaing the tokens in your opponent. And if they're blocking at all, you're gaining life when they block. Or if you're connecting, you're gaining the life for the tokens. So you're not actually, like, stuck in the I'm dying to my Bitter Blossom problem as much because you're not losing the creatures necessarily. And even just, at the beginning of your upkeep, lose one life, create a 1-1 artifact creature token. There's so many cards in the format right now that, you know, like, gain value with you, like, getting artifacts or care about you having artifacts around or artifact creatures, right? Like, if you're playing a red-white deck with Voltaic Surge, this means your Voltaic Surges are always going to be on if you have, um, if you have, uh, what's the name of that card? Yeah, you think of that for a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in. If that's okay. Yeah. Like, this corrupted ability of giving them lifelink is insane to me. Like, because you talked about how like it's like oh like you know you lose life turn they can attack you back but it's like well one they're gonna not be able to attack you back eventually because you they're like your things will get lifelink and they're taking poison from all these little tiny things. I I think this card is like. Slam dunk. I, I have it rated in standard by itself. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I have it rated as just a C without caring about it, its cyborg playability. And with its cyborg playability, I bet it's actually like a B plus overall. I, I think this card's just really good. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I realize now what I was thinking of, which is that you can play this with like. Um... I mean, this would be a stretch on your mana, but, like, the Oni Cult Anvil strategies of, like, just needing artifacts to fuel yes. these output things. There's a lot of things on the Kamigawa set that, like, care about having a bunch of artifacts around, and this churning those out is really valuable. But also the fact it gives all of your toxic creatures, not just these tokens, well, okay, keep lifelink going. is, like, it means that if you're... Even in matches where, like, it's kind of combat-y and mid-range-y, this effect, if you're going to be able to get those initial poison counters, is going to add up to you having just so much more life to work with read? over those games. Where like, like that that four four, we don't, we didn't talk about it uh, in this episode. There's a, a creature. Uh, at least I don't think it's one of yours. How does Anical Anvil read? Anical Anvil. Um, the creature doesn't do the damage, artifact. right? No, the Anical Anvil makes them lose life. It's whenever an artifact okay. like, dies. Oh, I was going to say, if I'm, like, sacrificing toxic creatures to deal poisons, woo! That would be, that would be a little, a little too spicy, even for my taste. such a spice. But, like, with Bloated Contaminator, the three mana, four, four, trample, toxic one, when it does combat damage to a player proliferate, like, 
if you have this card in play now and and you get them to that three poison counters now your contaminant right your efficient aggressive creature is going to have life and that's going to matter yeah you know like that all adds up and makes it so that you're going to keep on in the way that I think this really illustrates just how, and will really be kind of defined by how good Toxic is in a mechanic and how it really plays out when we actually have the cards. I, so I'm it's kind of hard to know. I'm so confused already. Yeah, it, it's you're, really you're hard to, to evaluate. You're Anvil, and it actually sounds really good with some of these cards, but it's like, it's it, it, they're both good as one ones, and then they also have Toxic, so like they're pressuring your opponent in multiple ways, which I really like. But it's like, how much of that do I need for it to matter? It's really interesting. Right, right. This card for me, the reason it wound up being in being a hit and not a sleeper or not a uh, not a favorite, because it, it, it literally when I was writing my my set review for it, I was like, okay, it's got to be on there because I love the card so much. But the reason it elevates the hit for me is that there's actually just so many applications for a card like this because every aspect of what it does is valuable in some way, like. The, the bitter blossominess of it is really good. The fact it makes an artifact creature token instead of just a regular creature token is something you have to take into account and can be powerful. The fact it has toxic, we don't even know how good or bad that is, right? Like, and the fact it gives these things the lifelink yeah. gives it a much better, like, a much different fail rate. It's such a difficult, like, uh, mechanic to evaluate because it's so new to magic and, and like, a new plan, something we know. But uh, I think this card really does just have so many different potentials that I would be so shocked if it wasn't a card we saw see a bunch of play. Like this is even good with just wedding announcement. Yeah, right. Like you're just going wider. That that was that, that was one of the things that I talked about between the two cards that you talked about. Wedding announcement is good with both of them. It doesn't matter if they have toxic or not. Uh, both of them are able to make two twos that maybe they don't block. Like one of them, neither none of them block, but like whatever, like. I'm dealing you so much damage and I have these wedding announcement tokens to like back it up. So uh, my first hit, I don't think is a question. Um, and I think that it's a hit in multiple formats and I would be shocked if I was wrong. That's venerated rot priest. Ven Ven venerated rot priest. This card yeah, is one for a one, two toxic one. Whenever... A creature you control becomes the starter of a spell ability. Your opponent gets a point scanner. I want to be clear that it does not say this card. This card does not need to be the target. Uh, oh, sorry. And it's just a spell an opponent controls. I need to read this right. Uh, so, first of all, this card no, does... It's, it's not a spell. Your It's just when it becomes the target of a spell. Becomes the target of a spell... Oh, you're right. I'm wrong. Target opponent is there. So it's not it's not just it. You're right. I sorry. And it's not just your opponent's yeah, spell. So stupid. I'm I'm already reading this card wrong three times, which is the reason that it's good is because of the reason you just said, which is like it can be in play, not be dying to Ren and Six, and be like, get bent kids. Uh Ren and Six destroyed. Destroyed uh these decks in modern. Uh, this card, I, I think, actually fixes the problem. Like, straight up. Uh, you now need Renin 6 Plus to beat these decks, not just Renin 6. Uh, in Modern, I think that this is insane because it means that I can continue to target other things while this is in play to advance my game plan. This still will get in some chip damage. Uh, it can be big enough. It's... This card's crazy. 
In Standard, it's just another one drop with Toxic. In Pioneer, it's just another one drop with Toxic. I, I think this card's a, a total hit and one of the best cards in the set. Yeah, I think that, like, I could see this seeing... Like, I haven't thought about it in Modern Infect, because, you know, you think about it as, like, oh, I need my Infect creatures to carry pump spells to, like, win the game or whatever. I could see this card being a part of, like, a real re-envisioning of, like, side... Like, this is, like, a wild defiance for that deck that's just one mana, and all you would... The thing is, you'd have to reimagine your, like, pump, swell, pump spell suite and stuff to be, like... More things like buying the vast spells, right? Right. Yeah. You'd be like really protective and really trying like, to like, like a black shot them, like a black green version instead of a black blue version or a, a, a black a green, green version, version instead of blue green version. Yeah, and I think that that's pretty interesting. I think that um, having ways to play that kind of game and still. Um, and still have like the cards to do it. I think this is easily a card I could see sideboarding in against matches where like all they're going to do is point bolts no. to my stuff. I, I, in my head, I'm like imagining black green with like this card and um, and Glistener Elf and uh, Doble as my one drops, and then like going straight into Phyrexian Crusader and being like, "Good luck!" Like, yeah, I think that the fact that Rob Priest has Toxic and not. Infect makes me a little scared of doing that because I a lot of your pump spells and a lot of your best spells like if, how, if you're only running of off time, of like how much of the time could you still just in the blue green deck how much of the time could you just still win through damage anyway it was way more than it was like 5% of the time you could but like I think a lot of the power your deck came from not doing that you know, like, there's a reason you don't just play a deck full of pump spells most of the time. It's because, like, the sure. fact that the creatures all have built-in double strike, effectively, sure. kind of changes the game. They, but, they still but I do, do think that... They still do that. It's just, you're just playing more creature spells in Ignoble and this that are pumping. Right, this doesn't... Yeah. This doesn't have the double strike itself, but this does make it so that if you're using spells to do it, right? Like, if you're able to play, um, you know, more spells that redraw, or you're just know that you're right you come into it knowing that part of your game plan is going to be take your opponent by surprise and how many vines of vastwood blossoming defenses things like that you have and force some positions where they're like okay i'll get you now and you're like okay i only chip shot you with my exalted attack yeah. for like one or two poison and now you're now you're trying to get out of the get out of the trap of my creature the board i'll protect my creature and they're like oh i guess i take a poison counter or like no, i'll so point another funny. thing at it. And they kind of destroy it's the chinese finger trap right, right? the exactly. more they struggle the more they get stuck one of the things that's funny is we didn't even mention like how this fits into like the standard deck we've talked about, the pioneer options that are suddenly available that weren't available before. Um, and I think that what you're saying fits really into that like pioneer-esque, like uh, Chinese finger trap style deck that might be available in pioneer all of a sudden, especially for the number of one drops that they printed yeah. that do this. So uh, next card is... I, this was going to be a sleeper for mine. I actually moved it. I have no idea how this card has not been talked about. And I'm Abe, I need you to tell me why. Uh, this card is one, a black, and a green. It's Tavar Jubilant Brawler. It is uh, a legendary planeswalker Tavar creatures. Uh, you may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste. Plus one, untap up to one target creature. Minus two, mill three cards. Then you may put a creature card with mana value two or less. 
from among them onto the battlefield. Loyalty three. Uh, what is what is this? Yeah, I actually think this is probably like unequivocally the most. What is like, this? I, I don't. I don't know where you get the impression that people haven't talked about this. I think people just haven't talked about this set much because there's so many weird cards. What in the world is this card? But this card is like definitely like a new linchpin of the Devoted Druid decks. It's Dude, like not it's just a new, that. It's a new card for Pioneer. What, what like, format is this card not broken in? Yeah, I mean, Devoted Druid is just the easiest way to be like, oh, I just put the like this being in play. Not only can just put a Druid into play itself and make me go infinite on mana right then and there, it also can just like do a million things. I've had friends talk to me about playing Rally the Ancestors with this card Dude, because then right? you can start using the ability. You rally back. You can use all the abilities it's immediately. So weird. Uh, this card it is... is a very, 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 very strong card. What it in is the so world strong. is this? This is this is like what people lied about how their cards worked in elementary school good. Like what in the world what is this? Uh so at the bare minimum, the bare minimum, uh elves already was green black due to the ETB elf in Pioneer. Uh now you just free roll every elf ever in history to like I I I don't I would be shocked if this card doesn't get banned in some format. But man, is it gonna be so sweet and fun to play with? Like, if you like taking game actions, this card is so cool. Yeah, I've heard talk of in those rally decks. Using your fiend artisan to sacrifice itself to go get a new fiend artisan to like, like you just chain off all the fiend artisans in your deck and then like go get the other thing and then cast your rally and get all your stuff back. And it's like that, it's such a powerful ability. There's like an artifact from Lorewind that has the same ability as the static ability, it's just some random rare. And it's like that's like a classic, like, oh, this is a sweet commander card, but like. It's just a do-nothing artifact. This is a planeswalker with all the relevant text on that artifact. What is happening? So. I don't, I don't. Why does it untap a creature? What's funny to me about this is like, it's like, I mean, I just made a joke about how like, oh, all your elves, like they do the thing for free. But like, they don't just do the thing for free. If you put like an elvish arch druid into play, you get to untap it. Yeah. What? Why do you get to do that? Because that's what the card says. I Spencer. don't understand. Uh, yeah, this is a hit. Um, what was really funny, I sent this to a couple teammates. I was like, hey, I think this is the best card in the set. And they read it. They were like, yeah, I don't know a card that could be better in the set than this card. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's been, it's just been, it's one of things like so obviously just like, wow, that's really it's good. It's a rare to, it, yeah, you just need to find a way to break it. And, if only and we could. Out, if, if, if only, it's it's like, you know, we've only listed like four things you can do with it already that are going to be really broken. But if only I can find the right way to do it, this card's going to be really good. If any of these four ways I'm thinking of and the millions I'm not thinking of yet yeah. pan out, this is going to be a really strong card. Yeah. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. You can find out the rest of the CCMD Network. Uh, we got tomorrow time of the recording not even the time this will actually come up before this episode we're going to release sam black's uh all uh early impressions of uh all is one early uh tomorrow uh work with the editor get that out early 
stuff like that. You can also check out this show uh, every month doing an episode with Myth and Michaela. I also invited two new shows to the network. If you're listening to this, let us know. Uh, you can like, subscribe, and comment. Uh, we know we usually read YouTube comments. We usually read uh, Patreon questions during this part of the show. These shows go so long, Abe, when we do these set reviews, we can't do that. But if people wanted to find you directly, we're going to do that. Uh, they can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings. I still have openings for coaching, um, especially with uh, the, you know, the set coming out. I'll probably be starting to devote some of that time I was leaving available for coaching to practicing standards. So if you do want to get something uh, on my schedule, you should really reach out sooner rather than later so I can make sure to fit you in. Um, but yeah, that's, that's up with me. How about you, Spencer? Yeah, I've got a pretty... Uh, getting close to full coaching schedule myself. Uh, I did have somebody reach out to me that was like, they made a Twitter account to reach out to me. And I just want to be clear that you don't need to do that. Uh, Spencer Howland at gmail.com is just my email. Uh, it's really easy to use. Uh, I'm happy to say it on the podcast. Cause like, I don't believe a bot's listening to me say those words. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I do coaching. I, I have quite a bit that I'm doing right now want to just give a shout out to those who have reached out and done the $1 Patreon since last week. Uh, just the support in me not having a job and like you guys trying to help me do magic full time is really awesome. Uh, you can find the show at Spencer or <clears throat> find the show at CCMTG. You can find me at Spencer 30 You can find Mason at Mason E Clark on Twitter right now for magic. Um, and uh, say something nice about Mason before we go away. Or something mean. You can do whatever you want. I just want to say I've had uh, a couple of conversations with Mason while he's been gone, and he's still keeping it a buck fifty. He's really still the best. He's not. He's not missing a beat out there while he's gone. So what I'm learning is that you're talking to Abe and not me, Mason. Thank you so much. We'll see you guys on next week with another episode of CCMP. That's a lie. I actually can't have. The, I literally talked to Mason today. I can't actually lie <laughs> like that. Uh, bye, everybody. <laughs> I didn't feel so bad. I was like, I No, it's just straight up a lie. Uh, I gotta. <laughs> <laughs>